So Money, Episode 863, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. It is Friday, March 22nd. Welcome back to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi, episode 863. Going through my Instagram right now. We've got a lot of questions from our friends on Instagram about passive income and what to do with a bonus, how to get over the guilt of spending money on yourself. Well, I have a few ideas. Welcome back to the show. As I was saying, it's March 22nd. We are now in the final stretch of me almost having a nervous breakdown. Uh, (laughs) Let me back it up and give you some context. I'm launching the biggest project I've ever launched in my entire life. I'm happy I'm doing it, but it is more work than I had ever anticipated as all exciting and great things are difficult. Um, but it's called Stacks House and you know, I've been just blabbing about it on this podcast for some weeks. But today officially we are live selling tickets. I know it's been a really big build up, but we are now officially selling tickets for our pop-up, which we are now opening doors on April 17th. Originally, we were saying April 2nd. Well, you know what? We spoke too soon. April 17th is now the date, and we're going to be in Los Angeles for a good healthy five weeks, maybe longer, depending on you know how it goes. If I had it my way, I'd say we'd be in Los Angeles forever and then simultaneously launch in various cities around the country. We do want to travel with this. We want to go to Austin and Minneapolis and Detroit and Chicago, eventually New York. What is Stacks House? It is a pop-up that is centered around financial literacy and empowerment for women. Everyone's welcome to come, all ages, but we really kept women in mind as we were building this experience. And it's quite the experience. There are multiple rooms, all of them dedicated to different kinds of financial topics and issues. For example, debt, earning more, retirement. Um, We have a infinity room that's dedicated to manifesting and thinking about your financial future. We have a gold bar where you can relax and engage with your friends that you came with and sip on some rosé. We also have a money moves room that is brought to us by our presenting sponsor, Zelle, where we're really all about showing women how to make better, healthier money moves. And I'm telling you, if you want to play with money, come to Stacks House. It's a lot of fun, a lot of great visuals, but also some true learning. So excited to introduce this to the LA community on April 17th. And if you'd like to reserve your tickets, which you know we've been live for about 24 hours on Eventbrite and tickets are selling like hotcakes. So I really recommend that you get yours now. As you know, these sort of pop-ups, they tend to sell out pretty quickly. I think Museum of Ice Cream sold out in like 36 hours when they first launched. Um, that could be our future as well. So I just want to get you to you know figure out your plans. If you're in the LA area, we're open a lot of the days of the week and we're open for 10 hours a day. So there's going to be hopefully a spot for you. 
Tickets are $38, but if you are a group of 10 or more, we have uh, some discounts for you. So check us out at stackshouse.com. You can get tickets at stackshouse.com forward slash tickets. And let me know if you're going to come because I will be there the first week and then I'll be back some point in May, probably at least twice and really looking forward to it. Stay tuned for Monday's episode when I have actually my co-founders for Stacks House on So Money, Kendra Meyer and Patience Ramsey. These two women have such dynamic, interesting backgrounds. Kendra and Patience were both raised in, they would say, financial scarcity. Um, So it's interesting to see their journey now to mobilizing themselves and and other women to take on their finances with more certainty, with more confidence. We're going to learn about how Kendra was raised in a one-room log cabin with no running water and how Patience's family declared bankruptcy when she was a child and the impact of their upbringing on their financial perspectives today. So stay tuned for Monday. We'll be talking to the Stacks House co-founders. And speaking of financial perspectives. It's Ask Farnoosh Friday. And y'all are so cool. I went on Instagram shortly before I taping this and said, hey, what are your questions? What are your money questions? And boy, did you did you chime in? We have a lot of questions here that I'm going to try to tackle. And some that also came in through the website at somoneypodcast.com. Lots of ways you can reach me, as you know. And maybe you don't know if you're joining us for the first time or you're new to an Ask Farnoosh episode, the way it works to send me your questions, go to Instagram, follow me there, send me a direct message. Try to keep it short. You know, sometimes people write really long paragraphs and I have a really hard time getting through that. I'll be honest. It's it's hard to really get through all of it. And, and I know you want to give me as much information as possible because things are so personal when it comes to money. But if you could just kind of give me the the you know the 30-second summary, that would be great. Much more likely that I'll be able to tackle it on the show. You can also send me your questions via the So Money Podcast website. So if you go to somoneypodcast.com and click on Ask Farnoosh, there's a button on the top right corner. You can either leave a voicemail or type in your question. And those are pretty much the two best ways to reach me. Our first question here comes from Sebastian on Instagram, and he wants to know how much of your monthly income should you invest for retirement? So this question really depends on your age, right? When you want to retire, how much time do you have? How much do you have in savings currently? And what are your plans in retirement? There are calculators online that I like to refer people to. They have calculators at, oh my gosh, uh, schwab.com. You can go to aarp.com. I believe it's com or .org. Uh, you can go to choose to save.org. NerdWallet, I believe, has a bunch of retirement calculators. The general rule of thumb when it comes to saving for retirement, assuming you are, let's say, just starting out in your career, you've got access to a 401k, you've just learned what it is, and you want to start saving for your future, I would say try to do at least enough where you're earning the match. Some companies will offer you a, say, dollar for dollar match. Every dollar you put into your 401k, they put in a dollar up to say five or 6% of your salary. So to the extent that you can take advantage, full advantage of that match, do it because it's kind of like free money. If you don't have a match, uh, still try to do as enough where you're in total contributing about 10 to 15% 
of your salary in a 401k. And remember that contribution is tax deductible. So you'll get a little bit of that money back in the form of maybe a tax return or tax savings. That's assuming you're young and you're just starting out and you want to kind of ride the wave. You got 30, 40 years ahead of you. If you're closer to retirement and you don't have anything saved or very little, that's when you really need to start getting aggressive, more aggressive, I'd say, you know, 25, 30, 40% of your income in a retirement savings plan. You know, it sounds daunting to say that, but yeah, I just did a segment for the Today Show about how we're living longer and the onus uh, to save for retirement is largely on us now as individuals. Our generations past had pensions and they had more social security dollars and they were living not as long. So you know, they were able to stretch that money. And, and now we are living longer. We don't have as many um, guaranteed sources of income. So we have to really take advantage of these 401k plans, these 403b plans, uh, IRAs, et cetera. Sebastian, I hope that was helpful. I, I can't tell from your picture how old you are. I'm not even going to try to guess. But if you are, you know, uh, in your 20s, 30s, uh, I would say do at least 10 to 15% of your income in a retirement plan. But but I would say still first step is to run those calculators and just get a good sense of what you really should be saving. You, you may want to retire super early. You may never want to retire. And that's going to impact how much you need to save on a paycheck basis, monthly basis, yearly basis. But thanks for your question. Thanks for being part of the community. Anastasia wants to know passive income, how to incorporate it into a personal finance strategy. Never thought of it like that, like as a strategy. I think I just, uh, I liked making money from a very young age. I liked having multiple streams of income. When I got to New York, realized I could not make ends meet on my one journalist salary with all the expenses that I had and all the student loan debt that I had. And just to clarify, people have been commenting how in some articles and in some media interviews, I've referenced how I got I graduated without student loan debt. That is correct. I graduated from undergrad without student loan debt. But then in graduate school, I took on about $30,000, $25,000 in student loan debt. So depending on what I'm referring to, if it's undergrad or you know, just the fact that I had debt in my 20s, it's the number's different. So I just want to clarify, I've not been flip-flopping. I've just been you know, talking about different situations, just the sidebar. But I remember being in New York and having all the bills and all the debt and living expenses were so high. And for me, making more money was a way to not just make ends meet, but also what's helpful, and maybe this is answering your question about the strategy part, I would think of that extra income as something that was extremely purposeful. So if I was making more money, let's say a couple extra hundred bucks a week freelancing, I would identify that income as serving a particular purpose. So I'd say, okay, this is money that's going to go to my student loans. This is student loan money. And I think that's really helpful as you're just trying to kind of wrap your head around your money, giving your money meaning and giving that extra income really a lot of purpose because it's so easy to make that extra income, feel good about it and go out and splurge, right? I wanted to do that all the time. I wanted to take all my extra money and go shop and eat out. And I did, I did that to an extent, but I think that you have to be extremely intentional about with what that money is going to do for you. 
Um, I would uh, always say like, get, get, that, get that side hustle and call it your get out of debt money, you know, if that's where you are in your financial life. So that's my answer. I think just having a sense of direction for this money, labeling it, compartmentalizing it, I think psychologically that's helpful. But also I think um, from practically speaking, it's it's nice to know like that this money is going towards a very specific goal and you can track that goal. All right. A question here from an Instagram follower. How do you get over the guilt of spending money on yourself? I never feel guilty spending money on myself because first of all, I think, I know, I don't just think, I know I work really hard. And I also know that I take care of the boring stuff first. I take care of my bills, my mortgage, my savings, my investments, my kids' college funds, all of that stuff that perhaps isn't as instantly gratifying as say, you know, going out to eat or getting my hair blown out, but it is the stuff that needs to happen. And if, cause if I don't do it first and foremost, I think that it's a very easy for it to get um, lost in the fray or, you know, just not prioritized. And I, I, I know that in my future, I want to have certain things like the ability to send my kids to college and the ability to retire and the ability to be mortgage free. So those things, as much as they are not super exciting, I take care of them first. So I eat my vegetables first and then I have my dessert. And that's kind of how I think about, you know, my money is that I, I don't have the guilt because I know that I'm doing the right stuff first. The sort of, you know, and I'm putting using air quotes, like I'm doing the responsible things first and I do it automatically. And then whatever money is left that month or, you know, whatever money I have in my bank account that I haven't spent, I can use that, I think, within reason to splurge on myself and on my kids and on my husband and my family and friends without feeling not even so much guilt because it's not even about guilt. But sometimes I do feel maybe, you know, insecure, like, ooh, should I spend this money? Is this really responsible? Is this going to necessarily mean a trade-off in something else that is more important? So I will say that while I don't feel guilty sometimes, I do sometimes take on this, um, you know, this perspective that I just want to be careful with how I'm spending, you know, and it's not so much guilt. It's just more I maybe cautiousness, you know, with being an entrepreneur, some months are better than others. And sometimes clients are late paying me. And so I have to take all of that into consideration. Like right now, I'm not really going out and shopping much because it's tax season. Um, I think I know what I owe in taxes, but you never know for sure until they're done. I'm waiting for some income to come in. So it's not really the best time for me to be going out there and splurging because I haven't taken care of the, you know, the meat and potatoes yet. Um, so that's how I think about it. So I guess my advice to you is just make sure that you have this framework in place, that you're automatically doing the right things first, the necessities, the savings, the investing, the paying your taxes, all of that. And with whatever's left, like certainly enjoy it. I think your money should be enjoyed. Remember that. Okay, a question here from Barat. He says, I'm a big fan of your podcast. Was wondering, thank you, Barat, was wondering if you could do a podcast or an Insta story about how to save money when buying a new car. I would appreciate any insights you have on the topic, including how not to get ripped off in the car buying process. Thank you. <laughs> okay. I have bought a total of two cars in my life, maybe three if you count the car that I bought from my dad, but I'm pretty sure he wasn't ripping me off. But I will say that I'm not 
I'm going to preface by saying that I'm not a car buying expert because of just my lack of experience, but I've done a lot of reporting on car buying. I've talked to a lot of people from Consumer Reports and Edmunds.com. And by the way, these are great resources as you're doing research on vehicles. Edmunds, E-D-M-U-N-D-S.com is a huge robust website that tackles everything under the sun when it comes to car buying, car leasing, um, selling a car, certified pre-owned car. I mean, everything you could possibly imagine. Calculators that will tell you whether you should lease or buy. Anyway, all this to say, do your research number one. Before you go to any dealership, it's really important that you've done about 90% of the reviewing and the assessing and the making up your mind beforehand. You don't want to go to a car dealer without any sense of direction, without having already a sense of what kind of car you want and very specifically, what's the model? You know, what color are you looking for? What kind of specs are you looking for? What is your budget, et cetera, et cetera. So these days, what's really cool is that you can often get online quotes from the various dealers. That's not only helpful when you're at a physical dealer to have in your back pocket to have as a negotiating tool because you can say, I've gotten these quotes from these other area dealers. Can you match it? Can you beat it? But it saves you a lot of time as well. You got to still be ready for a bit of time invested. It's going to be about a one to four hour uh, event um, just because there's a bit of a charade. You know, you got to test drive it and then the guy or the gal, the salesperson will give you a price and then you'll say, I need a better price. And then they'll go back and talk to their quote unquote manager. And then they'll come in with another price and say, it's the absolute drop dead price. And then you'll say, no, I'm going to walk. And then they say, wait, 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 okay, 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 come back. I mean, this happens to me, has happened to me twice, two out of two times, where it's this sort of dance where you're like, I don't know. So then rule number two is don't go in there seeming desperate or seeming as though you have to get this car that you are willing to walk. That's a huge negotiation tactic. Thirdly, go with somebody who is more experienced. So of course, I shopped with my husband, not just because we both were invested in this purchase, but because gratefully, he has more experience than I do in car buying. And so I was really thankful that I had somebody who was more experienced and more well-versed in the whole car buying experience. So if you've got a friend or a relative or co- co-worker, someone who can you know, buy them lunch and... Uh, <laughs> dinner too, because it might be that long of a day and bring them to the car dealer to just kind of be someone to, you know, as like a third party, like an objective voice. So if you don't want to reject it, the, your friend can and can kind of be your wing person. And to recap, it's doing your research using a site like Edmunds or Consumer Reports to, to really narrow down the model of the car that you want, um, that you also ask around via email to the different online sales managers for their quotes on particular cars and so that you can do a good apples to apples comparison. Then eventually going to the dealership, hopefully with somebody who is more experienced or just familiar with the whole car buying experience, that's where you're going to test drive it. And that's of course where you're going to negotiate. But having those already those quotes from those area dealers will be very helpful for you. And then lastly, I would just say this, if you are planning to finance the car, if you want to take out a loan, 
your credit score is going to matter. So check your credit score before you arrive at the dealer. And just so you know, generally for the best interest rates on car loans, you want to have a score of about 720 or higher out of a total of 850 FICO score just to um, prepare yourself. So if you want to get the best interest rate right now, make sure your credit score is is up there. And if it's not, you know, just, just a heads up. It might um, mean that you have to pay a little bit of a higher interest rate, which is more money out of your pocket to to, to, to have this car. Oh, and if I could add one more piece of advice is do check out certified pre-owned vehicles. So these are cars that were pre-owned. Um, now they're being sold again at a discount, but often they come with a manufacturer's warranty in pretty good condition. And th- But the real benefit is that sometimes you can get a pretty sweet discount. Uh, but again, getting the manufacturer's warranty is also key. You want to make sure that this car is, is the sort that you can bring back to the dealer um, if in case there's any sort of situation issues, et cetera, and that you're covered at least for a bit of time. All right. Good luck to you. And really good luck to you because I know it can be a bit of a drag, you know, car buying. It's just one of those things where I just don't know if it's ever going to get really easy, but I do know this. I mean, a lot of people in New York at least are forfeiting buying cars because with, with car sharing and public transportation, it's really not that necessary. And people are shocked when they find out I have a car. And the only reason we do is because we have two little kids and we do have to shuttle them often from place to place. Um, and we travel a bit to um, see relatives. And so it would just, so we just like having our own car and having that access. Okay. Last question here from Jen Lynn Pat on Instagram. Better to put a bonus toward long-term debt or investing? Hmm. Well, this is a really good question. Long-term debt, I'm guessing isn't so we're not talking about credit card debt which would mean most often a high interest rate long term debt perhaps you're talking about a mortgage uh perhaps even a a 10 year 15 year student loan where typically the interest rate is not crazy high we're talking 4 or 5% 6% investing on the other hand in an index fund over 30 years 20 years you know, the return could be very comparable, if not higher. And so from a mathematics standpoint, you might be better off investing. Generally speaking, don't hold me accountable to this. I'm just telling you historically how the market's performed compared to say, you know, the benefits of paying down a four or 5% interest loan. But there's also other things you want to consider, such as you know, psychologically, emotionally, what would make you happier? You know, that's important. It's not the only thing that matters, but I think it's worth, you know, being honest with yourself. Is your debt the sort of debt that is really making you anxious? Um, That it is perhaps the type of monthly payment that is preventing you from being able to, you know, save more or do, do fun things. And you feel like the quicker that's out of the picture, the quicker you can start to really feel free, financially free. And I think, you know, consider that. And and so if that's important to you, look, I know people who want to pay down their mortgage really fast, even though maybe it's just a 4% interest rate, but it's important to them. They don't want to have debt. And that means any kind of debt. I get it. I would also want to know what sort of investments do you already have? Are you already contributing the max to your 401k? Are you already you know, investing in an IRA? Do you feel like you're on track to retire with enough, quote unquote, enough? Have you run the calculators? And if you feel that you've got your, if you've got things figured out on the investing side, 
but the debt is still there, perhaps this is where the bonus can really come in and balance things out. Also remember, you know, you're going to get taxed pretty healthily on that bonus. Bonus money tends to get taxed at a higher rate. Um, and so to the extent that you can use some of this bonus to get back some of those tax dollars by putting it, say, into a 401k or an IRA where you can get a tax deduction, you know, something else to consider. That could be a nice benefit, a nice perk. But again, really got to think about this in the totality of your life. Where are you in your life? What are the strengths and weaknesses in your overall financial plan? And what would make you more at peace? That's an important part of the equation. Thanks, everybody. These were really good questions, and I had a lot of fun tackling them. I hope that they uh, served you, and um, I'm sure maybe left you with some more questions. So don't be shy. Continue to reach out to me, somoneypodcast.com, or on Instagram, at Farnoosh Tarabi. And just a reminder, Stacks House. Go to stackshouse.com. Tickets are now available. We launch in LA on April 17th, and I hope to see you there. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and I hope your weekend is so money. Money.